0: Thank you for the privilege of being a part of the family here at Bethel. It is good for us to remember a few of the moments God has given us as a church over the past year because in the frantic, hectic, everyday pace of life, we can overlook evidences of God's grace at work in our lives. And so I want to encourage us to be intentional about Psalm 105, verse 5, to remember his marvelous works, which he has done. If you'll open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, that's New Testament. For those of you who don't have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to find a Bible in a hymnal rack near you and find the New Testament And in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, in Acts chapter 20. That's where we're going to be this morning because that's what the Apostle Paul is doing right here in Acts 20. He's remembering God's marvelous works among the people that he's been with. You see, in a very real sense, Paul is right where we are on this New Year's morning. He's turning the page from one chapter of his life to the next. He's thinking back on those defining moments in his ministry to this church in Ephesus. And now, after being with them for three years, ministering to them, loving them, preaching to them, teaching them, he is saying goodbye to them. As far as he knows, he's never going to see any of them again. And so he gathers the elders of the church of Ephesus together and he shares with them that he's headed to Jerusalem and then to Rome, where he assumes he's going to be martyred. This is his farewell speech to this special people of God. Let's pick it up, verse 17, Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again, and therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood." I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I coveted uh, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity to those and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of our God for us this morning. And as we begin this new year, I have been reflecting on God's grace in my own life like Paul is right here And I've realized how much of my life has been defined by a series of short but significant moments, all of them moments of grace, like when our oldest daughter, Lizzie, was born and the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck twice. Those were some pretty tense moments because Lizzie's initial Apgar score was a two, but God put his grace on display in that delivery room, just like he did way back in the summer of 1989 on a Thursday night under an old oak tree at Amazing Grace Baptist Camp in Ottawa, Kansas, where by God's grace, he removed part of my stubborn streak. Not all of it, part of it, because I've been fighting God for so long. I'd been fighting his calling upon my life to become a pastor, and that night his grace won. And then there would be another moment of grace in July of 2019 when we were on family vacation in Galena, and a friend of mine called to inform me that he had submitted my name to the pastoral search committee of Bethel Baptist Church of Schaumburg, Illinois. And he was calling me, by the way, to ask if that was okay. Okay. I mean, what was I going to say then? The rest is history, God's history of grace, always at work in every moment of our lives. And that's why it's been good for us this morning to trace God's hand of grace in the little moments through our slide presentation. It's a poignant reminder reminder that what we have here at Bethel is special because God's grace has been present in each and every one of those moments. And that's why I want to emphasize two things from Acts chapter 20 this morning. First, I want to show you why the church is precious to God and why it ought to be precious to us. And then second, I want to lay out a vision for 2023 of how we can demonstrate the preciousness of the church to one another as well as to the world around us. Because the big idea of Acts chapter 20 here is that the church is a precious place Because it's comprised of people who've been bought with a precious price. People who get grace because we've received grace. People who are bound together as one by that grace. And then people through whom that grace flows into the lives of others. And for that to be true of us, we've got to see, we've got to understand why the church is precious. The answer is right here in Acts 20 verse 28. The church is precious because of the price God has paid to obtain it. Listen, friends, please, please listen. What we have here this morning and every Sunday morning, what we have here as a church family is so special because it took the blood of Jesus to have this. Never take it for granted. Love it. Appreciate it. Get invested in it. The price that has made us a church is the blood of Jesus. He has given His life. He has poured out His life. He has laid down His life to rescue us and redeem us and to save us from our sins and to bring us as those who are outside to the inside into His family, the church. And so listen the church isn't really a place you could take us out of this building and we could gather somewhere else in Schaumburg Illinois this morning and we would still be Bethel Baptist Church Bethel Baptist Church meets at 200 North Roselle Road in Schaumburg Illinois but Bethel Baptist Church is not an address it's not a brick and mortar building it's you and you and you it's us Christ laid down his life for a people. And so what we have this this morning right here is a local visible representation of the worldwide church of God obtained by the blood of Jesus. That's why Bethel is special. It isn't because of who we are. It's because of who we are. It isn't because of what we do. It's because of what's been done for us by Jesus. That's what makes us a group of people unlike any other. It's not that we have a gathering once a week. I mean, Cubs fans gather at Wrigley Field. I don't know why, but they gather there. Bears fans gather where? At Soldier Field, at least for now. And then there are lots of social and civic groups that rally around common likes and interests and passions like the Kiwanis Club and the American Legion and the VFW, but none of those groups is like the church. We are unique and precious people because we've been bought with a unique and precious price. After my dad preached from this pulpit back in November, and many of you are still talking about that, you won't let me forget that, But many of you commented to me about how wise my dad is. You know, I've always loved my dad, but to be honest with you, when I was 16, dad really didn't know that much. And then when I turned 22 and got married to Joanna, dad suddenly became the wisest man in the world like overnight. But one of the pieces of wisdom that dad instilled in us three boys growing up is that the value of something is determined by the price that is paid for it. You see, it doesn't matter what you think your home is worth or what you think your vehicle is worth or what you think your boat is worth. It matters what a buyer thinks it's worth. God has demonstrated how precious the church is by the price He paid for her, the blood of His own Son. And so the question becomes then, is what's precious to God precious to us? So let's talk about how we demonstrate the church's preciousness, how we show the church's preciousness. Now, I want to say to you this morning, this text gives us about 10 different ways we demonstrate the preciousness of the church. And I saw some of you right now look at your watch. Take heart. I'm not going to talk about all ten. I have, I have uh, whittled it down to three. We'll talk about the other seven some other time. And so let's just talk about three ways here that we highlight the church's preciousness. Number one, we sacrifice much for the church. It's what Paul says here in verses 19 through 23. He says, I've given my life to you all in Ephesus. I've served you all with humility. I've shed tears over you. I've endured trials for you and with you when the Jews tried to shut us up by shutting us down. Even when it was hard, I wouldn't quit. Verse 31, he says, For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And then down in verse 33, he says, I want you to know I didn't do it for money. I wasn't in it for the money. I did it because Jesus poured His blood out for the church, and so I couldn't do anything less than pour my life into the church. Have you noticed that people are willing to sacrifice so much for things that are precious to them? Like parents who go, out, go all out for their children, they'll, they'll cart little Johnny or little Susie all over the Midwest playing on a traveling baseball or softball team. They'll spend thousands of dollars on gas and food and lodging. Or have you seen some guys with their guns? Um, you walk into their house and one of the first things they want to show you is their gun safes, plural. Plural. I mean, they've got, they've got 12 gauges, they've got 30 6s they've got 9 millimeters. Now, I know this is kind of taboo in Cook County, Illinois, talking about guns. But those guys, guns are precious to them, and so they're willing to spend so much. People are willing to sacrifice big time for things that are precious to them. That's Paul here. The church is precious to him Because it's precious to Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, but PK, you know, this is Paul we're talking about. This is one of the heroes of the faith. He's a spiritual giant. Does God really expect all of us to follow his lead here? Well, can I just be honest with you this morning? This text targets me as an elder, as a pastor, as a shepherd, first before it targets you. As your lead pastor... This primary, the primary application here is for me. But if you're a follower of Jesus with Paul, there's a secondary application for you. Because in over 28 years of pastoral ministry, there have been a lot of Paul's in my life that have never written a book or preached a sermon. And yet their lives speak into mine because they sacrificed so much for the church. There's Jim and Peggy and John and Debbie and Ed and Claire and there are others right here in this very room. And there are people who are constantly preaching silent sermons to me by sacrificing their comfort and their time and their money to demonstrate the preciousness of the church. So let their lives speak into ours today, propelling us into 2023, where I say to you this morning, it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. Sacrifice always does. But the kicker is that every one of those people would stand shoulder to shoulder with Paul and say, it's worth every minute of it. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven and 58. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Never in vain. Sunday school teacher, never in vain. Nursery worker, never in vain. Youth leader, never in vain. Sunday greeter, out in the lobby, never in vain. Faithful offering giver, never in vain. Your service to Christ's church and your sacrifice for her is never in vain. And that's why... We demonstrate the preciousness of the church by a willingness to sacrifice for her, and then secondly, by joining in the mission of the church. That's why Paul says right here in verses 20 and 21, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice here, and you may want to underline or circle this in verses 20 and 21. I want you to notice here, the church's mission is all about a message, and that church's message is always Jesus. church's mission is always a message, and that message is always Jesus. So even though we're 2,000 years removed from Acts chapter 20 and 5,600 miles away from Ephesus, although we're a long way from Paul, chronologically and geographically, our message is the same, same as Paul's. It is always and only and relentlessly Jesus. Because the church isn't built upon the greatness of its members or the greatness of its music. The church is built upon the greatness of its message. That's Matthew 16, where Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the promised one, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, it's on this rock, it's on the message that you have just shared, that I am the Christ, that I will build my church. And when the church isn't built on its members or its music, but on its message, then Jesus says to Peter, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's why Paul says right here in verse 27 that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying I preached all of God's word. Not just the easy to hear parts, but the hard to hear parts too. So Paul doesn't water down the message to accommodate the culture. You know why? You know why? Because too much is at stake. Souls hang in the balance. Right now, as I am sharing God's word with you, just like every Sunday when God's word is preached, eternal stuff is happening. You believe that? Do you believe the message of Jesus is just as powerful today as it was when it came out of Paul's mouth on this day? Do you believe that's the mission of the church, to share the message of Jesus? Are you engaged in that? Listen. When you share the Word of God, eternal stuff happens. When you share Jesus, the message of Jesus, with your neighbors and with your coworkers and with your family members and with your children, that's what's happening. That's what's happening when you listen to kids quote Bible verses in Kids for Truth on Wednesday nights. That's what happens when you teach kids Sunday school class on Sunday mornings, even when you wonder if they're getting anything you're saying. Because I was once one of those kids in a little church in a little town of Adrian, Missouri. And early on in my Sunday school years, two elderly ladies who could have just dialed it in and coasted to the finish line wouldn't. Instead, every Sunday, they would walk into the basement of our church and open the message of Jesus to Sunday school kids like me. Faithful, every week, relentlessly engaged in the mission of pointing kids to Jesus. Their names, I still remember them, Eva and Georgia. They are the people Tim Keller speaks of when he says this, A humble and weak person will show a crucified Savior better to a listener than a polished, pulled-together expert. Because that's how it happened for us. We weren't saved by pulling ourselves together and polishing ourselves up, but by admitting we were sinners and calling on Jesus, the one who was pulled apart for us. And that's why I always want what happens in this place to never be about me, but only and always about the message. Because that's where the power is. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the message of Jesus that shows the power of Jesus and builds the church of Jesus. So let's be a place that oozes the gospel and grace of Jesus. Let's thirdly, commit to making the church a place of grace. It's here that the message of saving grace is spoken. It's here that the sustaining grace of Jesus is fleshed out all around you. It's here doing real life alongside real people with real struggles that you not only learn about grace, you see grace up close and personal in high definition. It's what Paul says in verse 23. Listen, he says, I know what's coming for me. When I leave you all, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that there's a lot of hardship in my future. But notice what Paul says in verse 24. He says, that's okay. You know why? He says, I don't count my life of any value or as precious to myself. Now, now listen, Paul is not saying that his life isn't precious. All life is precious. But Paul is saying that the church is so precious to him that it's more precious and his own life to him. And so he says, all I want to do is to finish, finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. Because in finishing strong, he says, I testify to you of the grace of God. Here's what that means for us. It means that the same grace that launched Paul from the starting blocks will propel him through the finish line. See, so you, you may be new To Jesus. You may be a new Christian. A new follower of Jesus. You may be just starting in the race of following Jesus. And you may feel a little bit overwhelmed. Or maybe even a little bit lost. That's okay. Because it isn't so much about how you start. It's about how you finish. And when you're a follower of Jesus. The good news here. Is that you'll never be without the sustaining grace of God. You'll never run without it and you'll never outrun it. Even if you've been a believer in Jesus for years, there's only one thing that is powerful enough to power you and push you through that finish line. It's verse 32 right here where Paul says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you that inheritance among all those who are being sanctified, being made more like Jesus. And that's why when people walk into the gatherings of our church, they should sense grace in this place. The hope of grace, the power of grace, that we, that when we come to faith in Jesus, God gives us what we don't deserve because in the place of sinners, Jesus took what He didn't deserve by dying on a cross in our place for our sins. It's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 which says that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him do you get what that means it means that my sin was placed on Jesus so that Jesus righteousness could be credited to my account when I place my faith and trust in him my sin Jesus gets so his righteousness I could have is that true of you You see, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for it's by grace that we are saved through faith. Grace. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any of us would be able to boast. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning as the one and only Savior from your sins? Is your life a story of grace? It can be. If you'll trust in Christ right now, repenting of your sins and turning in faith to him, crying out and pleading for him to forgive your sins, and he promised that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you come to Jesus? So what does this all mean for us at Bethel in 2023? Well, it means because the church is precious, we're going to focus on three primary areas. First, we're going to focus on being conduits or vessels of God's grace to those He brings us. It's clear from this text that Paul has been a means of grace in the, in the lives of the people at Ephesus and that they have been a means of grace to him. So listen, as a community of believers who've been showered with grace, we're called to be givers of grace. It was about 10 years ago that we purchased a an old home that was built in 1898 in Alton, Illinois. Beautiful old home. We we spent a lot of time remodeling that and bringing it back or attempting to bring it bring it back to its former glory. And when we moved in there, there was a widow with whom we shared a driveway. And I remember the day, just a couple of weeks after we had moved in, and our youngest two daughters had gone riding, uh, had gone riding bikes in the neighborhood, and, and they left their bikes in the middle of that driveway. And as she pulled into her driveway, our driveway as well, she got out of her car and she threw their bikes to the side so that she could pull into her garage. I witnessed that happening And so, number one, I informed my daughters that never again are they to leave their bikes in the middle of the driveway. And secondly, I went to her door and I knocked and I apologized. And I told her that it would never happen again. It was only about two weeks later as we developed a relationship with her that our neighbor turned to Joanna and asked this question. Why are you and your family so kind to me? And I still remember what Joanna said. She said, we're kind to you because God has shown us kindness in Jesus. And we want to show his kindness to you. That's Ephesians 4 verse 32, which says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So let's apply that to our church family this morning. When people walk into one of our gatherings, they ought to immediately see and sense the grace of God working in us, and they ought to feel it working through us. Can I just say that's why we need more people to join our hospitality team and greet people walking into our facility on Sunday mornings? Would you be willing to do that? We need information desk workers so that when people walk in and have questions about what happens where and who is it for, they see the information desk and they can go there and their questions can be answered. We need more nursery volunteers so that young families coming to our church know that they are going to be well cared for. If the message of God's grace is so great, then we ought to do everything we can to personify that message of grace. May it be true that people don't just hear about God's grace in this place. They see it, and they sense it, and they feel it in us and through us. So we're going to focus on being grace givers in 2023, not just to new attenders, but to one another. And so secondly, we're going to focus on cultivating deep, meaningful relationships with one another. I mean, do you see in this text how deep the relationship runs between Paul and the people of this church? When Paul says goodbye to them in verse 37, notice that there isn't just tears. There is not a dry eye in the house. There are many tears. There's hugging and even kissing. Now, please miss, don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should become known as the kissing church of Schaumburg. But I am saying we should be known as a caring church in Schaumburg where our love for one another runs deep because we are family in Jesus. And so when people are hurting here, we don't just hurt for, uh, for them. We hurt with them. We come alongside of them. And can I just say that in our school and in our church right now, there are more hurting people than I've ever seen in any ministry I've been a part of. I don't know if it's the pandemic. I don't know if it's the economy. I don't know if Satan has ramped up his attacks on the family. But there are a lot of hurting people among us. And so I'm going to encourage us as a church to care well for these people that God is bringing us. And one of the ways that we can do that is I'm going to encourage you to be with us on January 28th, just a few weeks away now, in our lower-level fellowship center for a one-day counseling training event that's hosted by the biblical counseling center that's housed right here in our facility. And I'm saying that to you so that you can become equipped to help hurting people with the message of hope say, but Pastor Ken, you don't understand. I'm not good in formal. I would not be good in formal counseling situations. That's okay. You know, most of my counseling as a pastor doesn't happen in formal counseling situations. Most of it happens out here in the lobby. Most of it happens up there in the EEC, Early Education Center, speaking with parents. Sometimes it happens in my own driveway at home. Okay, Pastor Ken, but you don't understand You know, I have my own struggles. Can I just tell you, I have my own struggles? You don't believe me? Ask the people sitting right here. But there's something I've found to be true in my years of ministry, and that's this when I'm actively engaged in helping others through their struggles and pointing them to Jesus, I become a better husband. And I become a better father, and I become a better follower of Jesus. You see, counseling isn't limited for those perfect few. It's all of us who are engaged in following Jesus, who should be engaged in helping others follow Jesus. So, January 28th, will you come? Will you be here? I'm taking this so seriously that next Sunday, Dr. Tim Alchin, the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Center here, will be speaking in our Sunday morning gathering. He's going to help us be a place where we don't shy away from hurting people, but we run to them and then we walk with them through their hurts, pointing them to Jesus. But you know, we'll never become that kind of community on our own. We need God's help. We need God's strength. We need God's grace. And so in 2023, our primary focus must be, thirdly, on being a praying people. It's verse 36. The last thing Paul does. Tears streaming down his face as he says goodbye to the elders of the church at Ephesus. The last thing he does does is he kneels and he prays with them and for them. You know why? Because for Paul, prayer isn't a last resort. It's a first response. Is it that way for us? Listen, Bethel's success is not built on great preaching. It's built on great praying. So will you commit to helping us be a praying church by attending midweek at Bethel on Wednesday nights or we're going to dedicate more of our time to prayer? And we're going to do that because we believe what Jesus says in John 15 verse 5 that without me you can do nothing. That's why we have a men's prayer group that meets right here on campus every Saturday morning. They would love to have more if you guys join them. And so, if you're a member here, I encourage you to come alongside of us in 2023 and help us be all that God wants us to be. If you aren't a member here, we'd love for you to become a member and officially join with us in the mission and the message of Jesus. We aren't a perfect people, so don't join this church because you think we're a perfect church. We aren't a perfect people, but we are His people. This is his church, and to him we are precious because we are a people purchased by the blood of Jesus, sustained by the grace of Jesus, to live for the glory of Jesus. So Bethel, let's be who we are, the blood-bought church of Jesus. Amen.